and welcome to the My Hormones, My Health podcast. My name's Laura and I have PMDD. Come with me as I navigate my way through the highs, the lows and the lowers of all things relating to hormones and health. I can't promise that I'll have all the answers, but at the heart of everything I do, I'll be aiming to spread a message of hope that a life with hormone or health issues can be compatible with a life of joy. Welcome to episode five of the My Hormones, My Health podcast. Today, I'll be joined by Catherine, who's coming on to share her story of PMDD and postnatal depression. Before I share our chat with you, I received a message this week from somebody who was listening in the middle of the night and was struggling with a downward spiral. So to anyone who is listening in the middle of the night or if you're feeling low in mood, I want you to know that you are absolutely not alone. And I really hope tomorrow is an easier day for you. Just a heads up, during my chat with Catherine, we do talk about suicide, baby loss and eating disorders, so it might be a harder listen today. As much as I'm passionate about spreading a message of hope, I believe that in order to do that, we need to dig into the deepest, darkest corners of how our hormone and health issues really affect us. And so it's really important that amazing people like Catherine do speak up and share their stories. And as always, I hope you'll be able to take away some hope from this episode. Here she is. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for coming on uh, the My Hormones, My Health podcast and being with me today. So we're going to get started. And I understand that the link that you've got between your emotional well-being, your mental health and your hormones is actually quite a fairly new discovery. So is your, your mental health and your hormones, are they things you have always struggled with? Or um, Not necessarily together. I think... My mental health always, um, I had an eating disorder at a young age, so, and I struggled with depression and anxiety, and it was always something I've battled with quite, quite privately. Um, I don't think I necessarily made the link to my hormones. I, I my, my period started quite late when I was 18, um, due to the anorexia. So, and I, I was on constant birth control in different forms up until probably just before I conceived my first pregnancy. So I don't think I would have made that link. I mean, now I look back, there were certain things that I thought perhaps that was, um, but I wouldn't have thought to go down that road at all. Um, it was just, I never really had periods on them or anything like that. So it was just nothing that I'd ever discovered before either, no. It's so crazy because that's literally, every time I, I ask that question, that's the answer I get that I just would, would never ever have made that link with hormones and mental health even though maybe now it feels really obvious so what happened then that, that led up to you kind of realizing the link between hormones and, and mental health um earlier on this year I had quite a difficult episode with my mental health and I was admitted to hospital for a short period of time um then during lockdown I think because we had so much time at home, not going anywhere. Um, I was, I think it was back in about May time. And I remember dragging myself into the kitchen one night after being bed all weekend and I just couldn't function, couldn't get up. I couldn't think straight. Just, I wasn't, I was writing suicide notes and Chris was locking the door so I couldn't leave the house. And I remember thinking like, we'd been here this time last month. And that was the first real connection that I had in my head. And I'm quite lucky that I have an app that I religiously keep up to date for like periods and things like that. Not with symptoms, but I just track the days and times and things. Um, and I've been doing this for like the last two years. 
And I just thought, well, if we were here last month, where were we before, like the month before that? Um, and then it got to back in January and the the time I was admitted to hospital for, it was for a suicide attempt, um, was the exact day I was ovulating. So that was just such a, a revelation to me. I bet. And that was the first real connection I had. And then when I started to like dig a little bit deeper and I went back to um, an incident last October and then one last summer, it was all like the day before I was due to ovulate according to this app. And I started to go even back even further at the times I was um, in the mother and baby unit and everything just added up. So it was wow. just quite scary because I just didn't even know what I'm capable of now. Um, and I just, I knew it was quite a relief in a way because I knew it wasn't me and I could, I had something to explain. And it was, I, I knew that obviously there was a period of time where I'm going to be this on edge, so, so suicidal to the point I would make an attempt. Um, so that was, yeah, it was just a huge like lightning bolt actually just hit me and I was like tripping over my feet trying to get out the door to tell Chris and like, oh my God, like all these things add up and like, it's not me, I'm not completely crazy every month. Because um, I think it's so many people write, write, write it off as women's problems. Um, and that stops women from seeking help because they just get labelled as hormonal or, you know, a bit crazy. Or you just go, oh, it's that time of the month and things like that. All those kind of slurs and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like it was, in a way, a relief to have that that light bulb moment of that's what's causing it. Yeah. And I do wonder, because it has been a real long two years of constant mental health episodes or just constant moods and I've been put on mood stabilizers and then I was put on the pill for mood stability as well um antidepressant is for mood and anxiety as well as depression so it's all these medications I was given just to kind of get me into some sort of stable place um and we've oh, it's just it's our relationship has been rocked massively by it all so to have to have this as an explanation that's like physical as well as mental mm-hmm. it's quite it's quite huge really actually yeah absolutely and it's really interesting isn't it because I think to suddenly have that understanding of what it is in a way it doesn't really change what it is but it's just that understanding have you had diagnosis of PMDD or anything like that? Or is it more you've had diagnosis of things like mental health issues like depression? Um, yeah, so definitely depression. Um, I was admitted to them on the baby unit for postnatal depression, which I now I even think back to Jake's birth and the following few months afterwards that, you know, I think it's a prime candidate, like go hand in hand almost. Um, most people who have PMD are probably much more likely to get postnatal depression as well um so then I was thinking of all the the severe instability that happened during that hospital admission um and then I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder while I was there and now I even wonder if that is a correct diagnosis when it could just been like my hormones all the time all this time yeah And, and to play devil's advocate I guess it, it doesn't really matter what the diagnosis is as, as long as you are being treated. But I guess the treatment for PMDD and, and managing those symptoms <coughs> is different, isn't it, to, to borderline personality disorder or yeah. any other condition, actually. It's a condition in its own right. So 
is diagnosis something that is now important to you in terms of getting a PMDD diagnosis or or is that not really the priority? Yes and no. I think um, part of me wants to feel validated. I think um, I know my diagnosis does not define me. I do a lot of work on this kind of thing, um, but there's a lot of stereotyping around borderline personality disorder. Um, PMDD feels probably slightly more valid, slightly more accepted to me. Um, I guess I feel a bit less irrational with that kind of diagnosis, um, even though I'm just like, I'm still me, regardless of whatever I'm diagnosed I'm still me. Um, I mean, I have t- spoken to my mental health team and my therapist did take it very seriously because she remembers quite a lot of incidents um, that all added up to ovulation. Um, and my team did refer me to a gynecologist, but that's obviously due to COVID. It's not happening anytime soon. Um, the GP is quite understanding as well, but she has, because the NHS is a medical model, she's gone straight to medication, yeah. which is perhaps not something I do want to continue with. Okay. For many reasons. I think you've spoken about it before as well. So it sounds like the, the healthcare professionals that you have been working with are very mm. supportive actually because I know with PMDD there's a lot of stories about medical practitioners maybe just not being clued up enough they don't have the awareness or the information and that can sometimes lead to a lack of support so do you, do you feel like you, you've got a really good supportive team there then? I do in a way like I, I feel supportive at the fact they've acknowledged it and taken it seriously um, I think doing my homework, tracking symptoms, going back, tracking dates, um, tracking all my different physical and mental health symptoms. I think that really did help because I had a case almost to bring towards them rather than me going, oh, I feel like this every month sort of thing. Um, So that has definitely worked. And I I will always recommend that for someone who thinks they might be suffering with this to definitely do your homework and have at least two or three months worth of symptoms. Um, But I think I don't feel support in the way of going to get a gynecologist or a psychiatrist opinion at the moment. But I guess that's due to the nature of what's going on in the world. So um, everything's a bit delayed, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's hard, isn't it? Because unfortunately, with, with everything else going on, everything, as you say, is on hold. But PMDD symptoms haven't been put on hold, have they? You know, we still have to right. battle with them. Um, and that that's obviously really challenging for, for all of us. And and obviously people with other conditions as well, not just PMDD, but, you know, any kind of condition where it's not seen as maybe the priority at the moment. Um, that, it's really hard, definitely. But you've got a really supportive team in a sense. Do, do you wish maybe you had, you had made the link earlier or maybe somebody had made the link earlier? Would that, would that, would that have helped at all? I do wish it had been on the radar in the mother and baby unit, actually. Why is that Um, then? I think it affects so many more women than we will ever realise. And there's not nearly enough awareness about it. And I do think it could be the answer for a lot of women in maybe inpatient units or in therapy at the moment um, who are just given, I usually borderline personalities, if you don't fit in a particular box, they just like to give you this diagnosis instead but especially with people who are suffering with mood disorders or bipolar or anything like that. Um, if someone could actually sit down and make the link with someone just to investigate, I think that could really go a long way. 
And I think especially in a place where mothers are experiencing you know, high levels of different hormonal changes, um, if a lot of them aren't breastfeeding, then their periods will come back faster and that is going to be different again. And um, there could be more changes as well. So I think it's something that should definitely be investigated in a particular setting like that, yeah. especially after a baby as well. Definitely. I think a lot of mothers I've spoken to, like either they've never had it and then it's happened after a child mm-hmm. or it's been exacerbated by childbirth or anything like that. It's definitely something that does need to be given more awareness and more attention to, I think. Yeah, right. I, I've heard from quite a lot of people saying that actually they believe it was kind of brought on um, kind of post-pregnancy as opposed to having it since they started their periods. Um, yeah. And then maybe after the second child, it got worse and the third child, it got worse. So it's really interesting that, that there isn't more kind of looked into with that. I, yeah, I, I did, now I know about it. I just find it so baffling. Like yeah. I wished if that was explored and it happened to be that particular diagnosis and you know, things could have been a lot different. Okay. Um, I guess the only thing they would be able to do is therapy and medication. But knowing what I know now about looking after yourself, getting enough exercise, eating enough, making sure that you, I suppose, pinpoint those days of around ovulation, you know, not to book anything. You can just stay in bed if you want to. You can get someone else to do the childcare. It's just all about preparation. Yeah, I think I think it's something that needs to be really taken seriously, actually. Things like you say, like just keeping that the diary free on particular days. And, and trying to, where possible, predict when the, the tougher days will be. So what kind of things have helped you out then? Um, exactly what we just said, actually. Last couple of months, um, I have actually said to Chris, you know, these are the days, these five days, we just, if we're going to plan anything, we need to make sure we can cancel it. I don't want to put any pressure on us. We need to know that you're going to be looking after Jake if I can't get out of bed. Um, perhaps, you know, you can take certain tasks off me if it's too much so that we just need to be aware that it's going to happen and I guess just work our way through it the best we can instead of I don't know I think before I used to think oh why can't I get out of bed why can't I do this like what's wrong with me I need to force myself to get up and then when you can't do that you almost end up in another vicious cycle of self-hatred and self-loathing and it, it just continues and there's definitely an element of guilt isn't there when we're un- unable to do things that we feel like we should be doing is there any guilt from the other perspective though of saying I'm planning these days where I'm not going to have anything on where I don't have commitments with people because I know for a lot of people it's that idea of we don't want to have the guilt of saying no to people so we say yes and then regret it which sounds like what you're doing now is a really positive thing but how easy has that been? Um, Not massively easy it does take a lot of practice (laughs) Um, I did write a post on my Instagram about mental rest and the ability to say no and not feeling obliged to say yes to certain things and not putting yourself in a position where you're going to regret it later. Uh, so that it, it is kind of a balance. You do have to weigh it up. And you, um, I think it's it's hard to put yourself first. But I think it's something you need to do if you do suffer from mental health conditions that I guess do lead you down the suicidal route because that can be even more dangerous later on. Um, not just for you, but for everyone else involved. So I think if you say, sorry, if you say if you say no now, then you know that you know you're going to protect yourself and everyone else later. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think it's only five days, or it might be four days, it might be one day. So 
it's putting it into perspective really isn't it it's it's very easy to feel guilty for not making plans and you know coming across well I always worry anyway that I'm going to come across as a bit boring or whatever but actually the impact of not protecting yourself as you say it can be absolutely huge down the line if we don't do those things now definitely I also think there's the power of the positive thinking whereas if you kind of battle through and it was you know five days until you came out the other side if you could think well you know I'm going to take this day for myself um, and I'm going to take it one day at a time then perhaps just thinking positively might actually bring you out of this sooner yeah and it might sound a bit all like hippie and things like that but um yeah I think you, if you think right I'm going to have this rest day and then you feel physically and mentally better the next day and you think well I'm just going to do this little bit today and I can always go back to bed if I want to um and then you know by day three actually it's not nearly as bad as it could have been if you'd forced yourself to do something you weren't comfortable with yeah definitely and and, you know I absolutely love positive psychology and sometimes I do think (laughs) I just think is it all airy fairy but actually you're absolutely right I think if we can focus on on the positive rather than what's causing the negative actually you're not fighting the negative all the time you're just letting it be I, I think it helps us to get the best out of the better days, doesn't it? If we can we can have that perspective, at least most of the time anyway, definitely. So I think it's a good place to start. I mean, my cousin actually had a quite a good theory. She's been applying for lots of interviews recently. And if she didn't get it, she would literally end up in a three or four day spiral of just depression and negativity and things like that. So we developed a system where we would have a day of mourning, like the next day of like, you know, we didn't get this, right? Let's put something on Netflix. Let's get binge watch something. Let's get loads of ice cream, loads of chocolate. Let's have a day of just like, oh, well, I'm just moping and wallowing. Um, and she actually did it like on by the third interview she didn't actually get. And she said, oh, I was over it the next day because I allowed myself that time. And I just think that is so, so positive. And it could also work with this. You think, right, I'm going to have this day in bed. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to have a bath. I'm going to, I just you know, eat chocolate, eat ice cream if I want to, just rest my mind and my body. Yeah. Um, it could come out the other side a lot better. Definitely. And I think, you know, the, the word positive and positivity get thrown around quite a lot, don't they? As just being, you know, a bit, a bit too simple mm-hmm. in that people say, well, you can't be positive all the time. And I do think that to act in a positive way and to, to think about positive psychology doesn't mean being happy all the time. It just it just means that actually accepting the the less positive if that if that makes sense and being able to change your own outcome I think yeah because this thing doesn't have a cure so you're the only one that can really help yourself through it oh, if I think you need to take a couple of days off just for me this is fine um, and then you know you're going to bounce back because you know how this thing goes in two week cycles so. And I always think, you know, I'm going to get everything done. I'm almost manic to the point in these two weeks, just plowing through my to-do list because I know that I'm going to have up to four or five days where I just can't do anything. Um, And then it's kind of a bit of a uphill, downhill cycle for two weeks. And then the period comes and it's like, ah, let's go again. It makes you more productive, doesn't it, on those, those easier days, definitely. So, yeah. so I recently watched the Louis Theroux documentary, Mothers on the Edge, which you obviously featured in. And in that, Louis says, I think it's when he first meets you, he says that you looked really well and you didn't look poorly, I think are the words he used. 
at the time or even now as well would you say that you wear a little bit of a mask to kind of cover up how you're feeling yes I actually still cringe quite a bit oh right um, comment because I you well actually we were talking about stereotyping discrimination in a peer support group and a lot of people have said to me why you just you know you look absolutely fine and either can't be anything wrong with you I've been accused of lying or attention speaking or being a fraud just because I present myself in a way that makes me look and appear as if I'm not struggling um I think that's always been my issue um so yeah I mean there was quite a lot of issues um so I talk on Twitter afterwards of people pointing out that medical professionals need to look a bit further than the actual person and and it's most likely the people who are looking fairly well and presentable Mm. that are the ones that are suffering the most in silence so do sorry go on do you feel like you need to appear or or did you feel like you needed to appear to be coping then I think my confidence does is tied up a lot in the way I look um it's a bit of like a shield of armor because I often can't leave the house if I've got makeup on I mean I've got a lot better over lockdown um but yeah I just I need to look a certain way I think just yeah maybe to disappear like I'm coping yeah (laughs) I, I think that's something that a lot of people women new mothers probably experience isn't it there's definitely a kind of an ideal as a as a as a female or even as a, a new mom that you have to kind of look like you've got everything in order and everything's going well at, both in your physical appearance but more so in kind of how you're feeling and there was a lady on that documentary actually and she actually said that when her newborn baby was 3 weeks old she took the baby and her three other children to the cinema which just sounds like amazing doesn't it you think wow that's incredible that she had the kind of the power to do that but actually it it, it wasn't incredible it, it it was fine that she did that but it would have been fine if she didn't do that as well and we definitely put this kind of emphasis don't we on being kind of super women when we, we, we don't need to do that yeah I think sometimes as well if if you've had mental health issues and you've always been the one that couldn't cope or couldn't partake in certain things or you had setbacks because either you've been in hospital or you've just always felt different from people um especially me when I had a child I think a lot of people thought wow oh my god that this is it she's this is her she's been saved by a baby and I just didn't want to admit that I just still couldn't cope um and we've been wanting for so long and I just still felt like I couldn't get it right and I was so isolated and overwhelmed I didn't want to say anything to anyone because this was the chance I had to prove myself. Um, I think that's why it probably did get so bad so fast. It's, yeah. So where <laughs> that's why it's so hard now, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Where, where did that pressure come from, though, to, to feel like you had to, you know, appear to be coping and appear to, to have everything sorted? Was it from other people or was it more from yourself? Maybe a bit of both. I think there's been a lot of... Um, issues with family and high standards and having to behave a certain way and get certain grades or go to a certain university um so I think that's always been like an internalized thing with me and then I'm very much perfectionist it was such a high inner critical dialogue um so I think that's a pressure put myself and 
also from society, from reading books and your baby has to behave a certain way and you have to be a certain way and, you know, you have to co-sleep or have a sleep routine or breastfeed a certain way. It's just, there's so much pressure. Um, and if you go to certain playgroups and all the mothers are going, well, my baby does this and mine does this. And they're like, God, my mind doesn't do any of that. So like, what have I done wrong now? So I think it's, it's all those things that just creates like a perfect storm, uh, especially if you're susceptible to mental health issues as well. If you just add in that your hormones are all over the place as well, it, it really is a perfect storm, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. How is life looking for you at the moment then? Um, a lot better than it was. I think I've started to understand myself a lot more. I've started to do a lot of work into um, more self-awareness, understanding emotions, self-destructive behaviours. I do think that makes me able to manage my symptoms a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to work in mental health as well. So that's, I think that's, I'm perinatal, that's, that's quite, that stemmed from just having lots of issues and wanting to help other mothers because I remember feeling so alone and just despairing that I just don't want anyone to ever feel like that again or anyone just to feel like they're just so distressed with their own emotions or they're ashamed of their own feelings that they feel like suicide is the only option for them. And uh, I was going to mention, actually, you've got a big following on Instagram and your handle is Maternal Mental Health Project. So what's what's the purpose of the Insta then? What you what are you aiming for with that? So I started that shortly before the documentary got released. Oh. And I just felt like I had so much to say and I had never had anywhere to say it. And I just wanted to. But I guess make, create more awareness and raise more awareness for maternal mental health. And it felt like a bit of a project because I just wanted to bring mothers together to support one another. And I wanted it to be a safe space to say how they really felt. I wanted to educate people, confront misconceptions about mental health. Um, you can still be a mother that feels suicidal. You can still be a mother that potentially self-harms or has issues with alcohol. Like none of those things need to be a stigma. It doesn't make you an unfit mother if you suffer from any of these. You can still be the best caregiver parent in the world. And then you can do all of this away from your children, but it, it's okay to feel like this. And I just wanted to, I, I guess, just give a message, <laughs> give that same message out yeah. and just give reassurance to mums and confidence that they can own their own motherhood and they can do it their way. They don't have to conform to any standards from anyone to any book to anything I guess newspapers and magazines say it's it's how they want to do it and that's the right way for them it sounds like you could have done with seeing that Instagram account yourself a few years ago yeah but that is another reason why I started it because I I used to oh, go, go through Instagram every day and it was this constant perfect family images um perfect snaps of like mothering of this my baby's sleeping ten till like eight in the morning and I'm like well and I just I couldn't find anything about like termination of pregnancy either um and I couldn't find anything about your mental health after a termination and then having another baby and I just thought well this is my moment to talk about all the things I can't find online I think I wanted just to show the reality of motherhood when you're suffering with a mental health and the fact you can still parent with a mental illness as well I think that's such a strong message that people need to know, isn't it? Because so many people are affected by mental health issues. 
in, in fact, I would say the majority of people are impacted by mental health issues. And the idea of not being able to parent because of that, I think for a lot of people is a huge concern. So I think just hearing what you've said there and actually hearing that you're now going into work and into mental health, I think is it's going to be really inspiring for people to hear that. Thank you. Do you feel like society is doing enough to support women and specifically mothers when it comes to issues like postnatal depression, PMDD, any kind of issues that are female, should we say? Um, postnatal depression slowly is getting better, I think. Um, more women are be able to come forward and earlier to say, this is how I feel, something's not quite right, and rather than being dismissed as being sleep deprived or exhausted or you're just a first time mum you know everyone feels like this I think a lot more people are taking it seriously there's so much money being pumped into parental mental health um in the NHS long-term plan that you know they're going to be treating up till the second postnatal year now and they'll be treating partners as well for mental health issues um it's the amount of mother and baby units which I'm so lucky to have in this country because I know America doesn't have them um they are you know, worth their weight in gold, the fact that you can stay with your baby at the same time. But I think PMDD has a long way to go. <laughs> Definitely has a long way to go. I think a lot of, uh, maybe the stigma comes from men, maybe, if I dare say that. Say it. <laughs> go on. Yeah. I know not all men are like that, but I do <laughs> think, especially in the workplace, the banter that comes from suffering with period pain or you know, feeling a bit hormonal maybe you're crying too much and it's just I think that stops women from coming forward because they don't want to see you even more I guess irrational than perhaps people make out you are yeah but it, it, I think it's just such a serious serious condition because it, it can lead to someone taking their own life if it's left untreated because it can be that serious yeah it's really sad to think that it's something that is joked about actually by so many people and I think, you know, when we think about women's problems, PMDD, postnatal depression, these aren't normal women's problems. But even even saying that, the idea of thinking of something as just being a, a woman's problem, actually, it should be everyone's problem. It shouldn't be something that just women have to deal with. It should be talked about by women and men. Um, and as you say, in the workplace, there's so much stigma, isn't there, about women and women's problems hormones you know the, the the language that is used and you think some people must suffer horrendous not only mentally but physically and they just put up with that because they think it's normal whereas I know there is no normal for periods because everyone has completely different ones but it's it's just such a dangerous condition that I just think needs the spotlight on it so much more and I do think so many women can get so much relief of just realizing they have something that you know, it explains so many things for them. And despite the fact there's no cure, there are ways to manage it and they could live a better life yeah. even if they had more information on it and people were more understanding. Definitely. Um, going back to the bit when you said about, you know, it's everyone's problem, it is because people live with us. Um, you know, our, our children <laughs> live with us. Our, our, we have relationships. You might live with parents and stuff. So if you're in a state I guess where you are like you know very overwhelmed with life and you can't deal with things you can't get out of bed it does become it does affect everyone in the whole house definitely I think I I, I keep um going back and forth with doing the, the podcast because I keep thinking 
I, I want to talk about it. I think we should talk about it. And then I think, should we talk about it? Because sometimes when we're in a, a positive frame of mind, we, we don't necessarily want to hear about people on their bad days. But I guess that's kind of what makes it more important because as long as people are suffering with things that maybe there could be a cure for one day, <laughs> we, need to, we need to keep talking about it, actually. Um, amazing thing. Um, and I was so inspired by listening to the first couple of episodes. And I think everyone needs to hear this. It's it, it's just yeah, it's incredible, and you should continue. I think. Oh, thank you. I will. <laughs> um, what would you say PMDD has taught you about yourself, and not just PMDD actually, but your your experiences as as being a new mom, dealing with your hormones, dealing with mental health issues. What have they taught you about yourself? I think I've given myself a little bit more credit than I thought I had before. Um, just going back to what you said before about, you know, not wanting to hear about the bad days, only want to see the positive, but we're all human and we all have bad days. And I think a lot of people can find comfort in other people's bad days as long as they you know, can see the positive. And when I do talk about a lot of issues, I do get to the nitty gritty of the real bad stuff, but I always try and finish on a positive note to give people like hope and inspiration. And I think too many people hide their bad days and that's when we all think the world is such a perfect place and it, it really isn't. And I think it can bring a lot of solidarity and we all talk about issues that are perhaps bothering us and it can make each other feel lighter, I guess. And it's just nice to know you're not alone, which is a message I always put out there all the time. Yes. I think, I guess I feel, I've accepted myself a lot more as well. I just feel a lot more confident with my flaws, maybe, instead of trying to hide those. Yeah, I've discovered I write really well, actually, as well. <laughs> I can blow my own trumpet there a little bit. Well, absolutely, but why not? Why not? And I think that's a huge thing, because I think for a lot of, this, a lot of us, we're very quick to put ourselves down and talk about our flaws. It's not very often we would say, actually, I've recently found out I'm, I'm quite good at writing or I'm accepting myself so that, again that's really inspiring to hear that and you're right people need to hear that definitely so, yeah I always thought writing was um then I was like oh I'm not gonna do that I can't be bothered and then when I actually do sit down yeah, I do feel so much better afterwards I think it's I always recommend it now well do you <laughs> know I, I was thinking I might start <laughs> writing a book and then I realized that I couldn't write so that's why I started the podcast because I can't talk <laughs> So that's how we've ended up here. Um, if, we all have our strengths. <laughs> that's it. We all have our strengths. Yes. Um, if you could go back, I'm going to say about four years, and give your younger self some advice, what would you say? God, that's a big question. I would actually maybe tell her just to embrace the bad as well as the good. Because the bad is what's going to break you and rip you apart, but the bad is what's going to put you back together as well. And I'm also not usually quite spiritual, but I started to believe that everything happens for a reason. And even all the awful things like losing a baby has actually, I guess, put me in touch with people I never would have spoken to before. It's given me opportunity to tell stories. It's given me opportunity to provide hope and comfort to others. 
know, it, it changed the course of my life um, in a way I never would have imagined. And I think that is something I am very, very grateful for now, despite how awful it's been in, in the process. Yeah. It's really nice that you're able to, to say that actually, despite that, that awful experience, these are some positives that I'm, I'm taking with me forward. And you mentioned earlier about this, this purpose that you've got of hoping that nobody else has to struggle like you did. And, and I know that unfortunately you will go through a cycle every couple of weeks where those feelings will come back and you will struggle. But as you said earlier, you're not alone. We're not alone in this. And if we keep talking, one day maybe those struggles will will no longer be there. Exactly. And you just keep putting your information out there. And, you know, some days might, no one might like it, no one might read it, but it will always reach one person. Yeah. That one person is, you know, that's your job done then. Yeah. You've made a difference to one person's life. That's all I've ever said. It's like, if I can make a difference to one other mother or one other woman, um, that's all I've ever set out to do. And it was just, I think your words will always become part of someone else's survival guide as well. This is all about connections and just lifting each other up, I think. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> what would you say is important to you right now? Um, my son. <laughs> so how old is he? He is two and a bit. Yeah. Two, yeah, I'm going to be specific, probably two years, four months, maybe. <laughs> And I mean, I saw him on the documentary as, as a little baby, seeing him on your Instagram as like an actual child. It's yeah. quite, it must be quite crazy to think like he was a tiny baby. Oh, he was. It, yeah, it's just gone in the blink of an eye. Um, and that's someone else once told me that it takes up to two years for your brain to readjust and your hormones to settle down after having a child. Um, as well as them supposedly sleeping through the night, but that's yet to happen. Um, but yeah, I've always, I did a bit of research into that actually. And it's, it's quite true and it's quite interesting and quite shocking to see how much your brain does change. Wow. I think that's, that's another reason why I think PMDD should be on the radar for many mothers after giving birth and instead of being misdiagnosed with something else instead. And um, and what would you say are your hopes for for your future for for baby Jake's future and and just wider than that? I think for me it's yes, perhaps pursuing the career in mental health, um, continuing my baking, which I've done through lockdown. <laughs> baking saves mental health. Fact. Don't let anyone ever tell you. <laughs> um, for Jake's future, I want him to grow up, especially with him being a boy, with the message that it's okay feel your emotions it's okay to cry it's okay to talk about it doesn't make you any less of a man um of course mental health would be on my radar massively for him when he starts to understand a little bit more um and I want him to grow up with the kind of compassion and kindness that I think the future generation needs to be equipped with that perhaps we're not seeing so much right now and just a just an all-round good human it's exciting to to think you know in the last five years, in the last 10 years, in the last 20 years, how 
mental health is being viewed and even though there's still so far to go with with these taboo subjects actually by the time he's a little bit older how different will things look again for mental health and will there be the same stigma the same shame I don't know but hopefully there'll be less than maybe we feel we we've we've had for our time I think Jake's generation is probably going to benefit the most like when I think back to perhaps some stuff my dad has probably said um and I think well you know you came from a time when everything had to be hidden mental mental health wasn't even an issue didn't exist it was all physical health um to now where we're starting to see the changes to Jake's generation is just going to be you know that's probably probably more than physical health maybe yeah yeah it'll be widely accepted anything will be I think that would be amazing if if physical health and mental health could have the same footing then that would be yeah that would be be great wouldn't it um it's getting to that point and I guess it's it's keeping on talking keeping on raising awareness as as you and I are both doing um and as you say not letting mental health be confined to something that is talked about kind of behind closed doors or not talked about at all definitely I agree yeah so thank you so much for coming on and speaking to me uh for this episode it's been such a pleasure um and of course I think there's probably so many people thinking wow I want to follow this lady on Instagram so for anyone who is thinking oh my god what was her Instagram name it is maternal mental health project thank you very much there you go oh no it's my absolute pleasure thank you so much if you'd like to learn more about some of the issues that Catherine and I have talked about today for pregnancy baby loss and postnatal depression Catherine tells me that there's some great websites out there such as Tommy's ARC that's A-R-C Sands and Pandas UK and as always if you want to learn more about PMDD head over to the IAPMD website if you want to start tracking your cycle I know I mentioned on previous episodes about me versus PMDD tracking app and there's also Flow which is F-L-O and that's the one that Catherine uses you'd like to learn more about positive psychology i'd really recommend reading grow your own happiness by deborah smith next time i'm going to be joined by anna who'll be sharing her experiences of pmdd so thanks again for listening i hope you've been able to take away some hope from this episode don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast so we can keep spreading our message further